My name is Cody Smith and I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, I've been having a lot of uh, really strange experiences lately, not just lately, but since I've been sober and even before I got sober, I've had a lot of really strange experiences in my life. Um, and, you know, um, I think it's just a, a, a part of life, you know, and um, it's taken me um, a long time for me to have the um, perspective that I have today. And it's, you know, it has a lot to do with the experiences that I've had in my life. Um, you know, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous um, November 13, 2016, so a little over five years ago. And my life, you know, looked like, you know, very similar to a lot of other people's lives that I've heard. And, you know, I don't think that that necessarily makes me an alcoholic. Um, you know, I, I've never had a DUI. You know, it's like, like I talked about more about alcoholism. It's really easy for me to separate myself from, you know, other alcoholics or this idea that I am an alcoholic. But I had, I had this, like, thought one time and my sponsor tells me to be careful with thinking um because i might hurt myself um uh but i had this thought one time and it was i was thinking about you know i don't think normal people like non-alcoholics think about ways to disprove their alcoholism you know <laughs> like you know and, and it's just like the that abnormal thinking you know is you know definitely um you know, a trait that I have, like, you know, and uh, I will spin around in my head and exhaust myself, like, and, you know, I came in here, um, you know, with $60,000 worth of warrants. I'd been on the run for about two years. I was, you know, living on the street and, you know, um, I had uh, worked my way up to sleeping on a uh, bed bug and cockroach infested um, couch on the side of a house. So things were getting uh, much better. Um, and, you know, I just, I was just, I, I, did, I had no idea who I was, you know, I had no idea how my life became the way that it did. You know, it was everybody else's fault. You know, I was a victim of the things that happened in my life. And, um, you know, that was the mentality that I carried around with me everywhere. And, you know, another thing that I would do was just constantly convince people that I was somebody else. You know, I would constantly try to convince somebody that I was you know, this other person, like I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna steal from you. I wasn't gonna, you know, take advantage. I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not a manipulator. Like I'm a really good person and all this stuff. And, you know, when people would believe me and then I would, I would act out on those things and I would be that person that I told them I wasn't and they would call me out on it or, you know, try to, they would cut me out of their life or, you know, you know, uh, reprimand me for, you know, doing the things I said I wouldn't do. I'd be like, well, why did you trust me? you know, like that was your fault. You know, I was constantly a victim and constantly shucking the blame onto everybody except myself. You know, it was, in, it was impossible for me to take responsibility for anything that happened in my life. And, um, you know, what happened is, you know, I, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, um, broken and desperate enough to actually do the crazy shit that was suggested for me to do. And the things that made absolutely no sense, you know, like writing an inventory, you know, looking at things that I've done and harm done to others and making amends and, you know, all this weird stuff. And I was just like, this doesn't make any sense, you know, and thank God it doesn't need to make sense in order for it to work because, um, I probably wouldn't be here today. Um,
And I've heard people say, you know, this, this program, you know, is here for people who want it. And I don't think that that's true either. I think this program isn't for your for people who want it or people who need it. This, this program is here and it works for people who actually do it. And um, I've had links in my sobriety where I was not participating in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and I, I got to experience what it means to actually be an alcoholic sober. And, um, you know, what that looks like is, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, you know, like the book talks about is like, I'm restless. I'm here to a little discontent. You know, I'm, I'm maladjusted to life. I don't have a solution. You know, I don't know how to interact with reality. I don't know how to form relationships. I don't know how to be a son or a brother or a friend or an employee or any of this stuff. You know, um, my solution for life was to drink and use on a relentless basis until like I could kind of get through the moment. And um, I remember having a, a breakdown sitting on my couch and um, just I got a glimpse of like reality. And I, I just I just felt so exhausted and so tired of just living the way that I was living. And, you know, I had no idea. I had no idea how to stop. And I couldn't imagine, I got to that point where I couldn't imagine my life without drugs and alcohol. And I couldn't imagine my life, um, continuing doing what I was doing. And, um, yeah, I, I called somebody and they, they took me to my first meeting. And, you know, like I said, I, I started doing some, some simple things. I, I got a sponsor I started working some steps and I, you know, I, I came in here, I didn't come in here with the intentions of being sober for, I didn't come in here with the intentions of being sober, you know, for 30 days, a month, a year, five years. It wasn't my intention. It wasn't my plan. And, um, but like I said, you know, this, this program works, this program has worked for me, regardless of what my intentions were, you know, what the requirement was, was that I just do this stuff, you know, and, um, my life has gotten, um, I don't want to say my life is perfect because it's not. You know, I've had a lot of um, a lot of ups and downs. I've had certain trials and low spots. You know, again, like the book talks about, and it's it's my reaction and my relationship to the things that have happened in my life that has changed. That's what I've gotten from doing these steps and um, by trying to help other people. And like, I'm I don't I'm not a I'm not a swell guy. I'm not like this shining person in society or an alcoholics anonymous. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a goofball. And like, you know, I mess up constantly. Like, like I said, I, I still am learning how to, you know, form relationships with people like being vulnerable is uncomfortable as hell. And, you know, um, you know, this idea, you know, I had, I went to this meeting the other night and I heard, and I've heard it a lot, you know, people talking about, you know, this constant pursuit to be, you know, happy, joyous and free. And God just wants me to be happy and all this stuff. And, you know, that's, that hasn't been my experience. You know, um, God has absolutely needed me to experience sadness and depression and anger and spite and, you know, just being uncomfortable and all these things and just this intense emotion because like I'm a fucking alcoholic. So everything is just so dramatic. And, you know, it's such the like littlest thing that will, you know, just create this crazy spiral inside of me. And it's, I just get tighter and the pressure builds up and, you know, what I've been realizing through, um, you know, uh, a decision that I made to end a relationship that was 
unlike any relationship I've ever had in my life, you know, this was somebody that, um, you know, I had started planning a life with, this was somebody that I had, you know, um, envisioned having, you know, children with and getting married and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, um, I made a decision to end that relationship. And since then, like I've experienced pain, like I've never experienced before, you know, this, this pain that's so intense and just so like, I can't even begin to describe it to you other than it, it, it literally feels like I'm dying. You know, it feels like I'm dying inside. And, um, I remember, uh, you know, a few weeks ago calling my sponsor and I was, I was shaking, I was sobbing and blubbering. And like, I couldn't even, I couldn't, I couldn't even move. You know, I was, I was stuck in a chair and I was just shaking and trembling. And I just, I, I called him and I finally got a hold of him and, you know, he didn't try to fix me. He didn't, you know, say, Oh, don't worry. It'll, it'll be all okay. I mean, he just, he shared some of his experiences with me. And just as I was sharing with what, what was going on with me, he, he had relation, he's had these experiences and he was willing to share that with me. And, and, you know, I was talking to him and it's, it's, you know, like what I mean by like my, my relationship to the facts and my reaction to life has changed is when I was feeling that pain that it felt like I was dying, like that would have been the perfect excuse to, you know, go grab a drink or go get a drug or whatever, just something to change the way I felt and, and, and to escape reality. And, you know, I didn't even have any good threats anymore. I just, I was just like, I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to use, I didn't want to do anything. I just... I just didn't know how to deal with the feelings I was feeling. And, um, you know, my sponsor asked me to ask God to basically help me feel all of it. And in doing that, you know, um, I've been able to create more space for God in my life and it's, and it's not perfect. Right. Um, I'm still learning, you know, I'm still have no idea what's going on at five years sober. But I continue to show up for Alcoholics Anonymous. I continue to say yes, um, not just to Alcoholics Anonymous, but to my life. And, you know, I get to have a lot of really fucking cool experiences that I've never been able to have before. And, you know, just unimaginable things. And it's, it's not always makes me look good or feel good. And it's like not this pursuit to be happy, but it's like this pursuit to, you know, grow spiritually and to abandon myself um, to Alcoholics Anonymous and trying to help other people because, you know, I have a debt that's owed to Alcoholics Anonymous and not just Alcoholics Anonymous, but, you know, um, to the people that took time out of their life to show me what to do. And um, I need to, if I am truly grateful for what was given to me, then I need to be willing to do what was done for me so freely and um, do it to the best of my ability. So thanks. Bye, McDonald's, alcoholic. Thank you, Cody. Um, gosh, like I've, I mean, I've shared so many times and it's still, um, Cody said it, like, I don't, I, it's been, it's become harder to be vulnerable the longer, um, that I've been doing this. And, um, because, uh, 
like I'm really sober. Like I'm not on, like I'm depressed and I have anxiety and, um, and I'm like still grieving all these things that have happened, you know, in the time that I've been sober. Um, and I don't take anything for them. You know, I'm not on anything for them. I don't take any depressants. I don't take anxiety pills. I don't take anything. I pray a lot. (laughs) I pray a lot. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm convinced like it's the only reason I'm still here. Um, I got sober when I was 23 and I'm going to be 40, um, in January. And it is absolutely by the grace of God that I am still here in spite of myself, you know, because what I've learned, um, along the way was that, um, I mean so much, but, but even like more than I've learned more about, um, about alcoholism in the last year than I feel like I've learned. And, you know, the last 15 years I've been sober, you know, um, because, um, I, I mean, when I first got here, I really thought that it was, it was the drugs and it was the booze and all of that stuff that was making me, you know, um, incapable of like living a life like other people, you know, and having things like other people and not going to jail and, um, you know, selling my ass and all those things. Like I just, I didn't, it, it helped me live, but, but, you know, by the time I got here at 23, like, I mean, I was miserable and and I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't even live that life anymore, you know, and for such a long time, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that I started drinking and using when I did, honestly, you know, because like, I don't know how I would have made it as far as I had, if I hadn't had that to help me, you know, um, but then it, it stopped working and you hear that, you know, it stopped working and, and that same feeling that I felt, you know, the day that I called my sponsor, the last time I relapsed, um, and I remember um, I was still in the hotel room, you know, because the bag never came and I called my sponsor and this was, you know, I had tried to get, um, it was my, it was my first time in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and I had gone out on drugs and, and I, cause I tried this every w- which way, you know, I, I, I came in as an addict and I started an NA and I would always relapse on booze. And then even when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I couldn't get 30 days and, um, and, and I went out on, I went on, um, on meth, you know, and, and like I said, I, I, you know, I went to bed that night because bag never came and I called my sponsor and that feeling, that feeling that I had when I called her because I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. And like, I wanted to die. Like I wasn't, I wasn't able to hurt myself if I was sober. What was scaring me was when I would be loaded, I would want to hurt myself. I would want to jump out of a car you know, I would, when I, I mean, I, I came to Santa Cruz I'm from Oklahoma originally, and I came out to Santa Cruz, California, um, uh, on the run and I would be wasted sitting on the cliffs and I would want to jump off the cliffs, you know? And when I would sober up, I'd be like, holy shit, like, wow, that was like kind of scary. I was like <laughs> thinking about like jumping off this cliff, you know? And I would always like, just kind of laugh about it. Like it wasn't like, oh, wow. Like that was crazy, you know? And like, I was talking about this, like a few weeks ago and I never talk about it, you know, when, when I was 21, I was at a party and we were, you know, I remember, you know, we're drinking and I'm eating Valiums and we're doing Coke. And, and that's the last thing I remember. I remember popping a couple of Valiums, it's probably an hour in and I don't remember anything after that. And then I remember all of a sudden I'm walking down the street and I'm like, where am I going? And, uh, and I turn around and I'm walking away from the party. And I, and then I say to myself, I'm like really fucked up. I need to go back to this party. You know, where am I going? And 
I turn around, I go back to the party and I don't remember anything. And I wake up in a hospital, you know, about a week later and, um, and, and I had been in a coma. I couldn't walk. I mean, it should have killed me. The only reason it didn't was because I was so fucked up. And in the police report, it says I was trying to hurt. It says I was trying to hurt myself. I was jumping in front of the cars and I was just like, what? Like, that's no, like I did. I couldn't believe it, you know, until until I mean, I well into my sobriety, all the times I wanted to die, <laughs> you know, all the times because when I get away from this program, when I stop doing these things that I did when I first got here, which was, you know, I got a sponsor immediately because like I said, I, I called her, I called her from, you know, the hotel room. And at that point, you know, she was like, you need to go to rehab because you cannot do this by yourself. And at that point I was, I was so willing and I was so, I was whooped. I had no more ideas and I was so willing to take anyone else's suggestion. And, um, and I did, I got into, I went into the rehab here in Santa Cruz. I went to new life and, um, I remember I had to get three days to get in there and, um, and I was staying with girls that I would, I would, you know, we took care of each other, like whatever they didn't have, I had, and somehow I was able to like put three days together to get into, you know, that rehab. And, and, and I started doing the steps and I started going to meetings and, you know, and she told me to reach my hand out to girls and, um, and wait, uh, no, I don't do girlfriends because like girls fuck me over, you know, I have guy friends, you know, like that's, but I did it. I did anything she told me to do because I was so desperate and the relief that I felt like, immediately when I just started doing any of this stuff, I didn't have a car and I would walk to meetings from rehab, you know, remember I had a curfew. So we'd be running back, you know, to the rehab to make it back on time. I, I mean, I would, I would do anything, you know, and, and all the times that like my ego has like grown back because that's what happens, you know, for me is that like, I do these steps and they cut away, you know, the resentment and the fear and, um, and they, they humble me, you know, and they cut away that, that ego and until something greater than me can come through and, and, and like, I'm able to do things differently, you know? And, and when I, when I stop doing those things, my ego grows back, my ego grows back. And then I, I'm that same person that I was loaded, you know, in sobriety. And, um, and, and that, and I feel that same feeling. I feel that same exact feeling that I felt in that hotel room that day. Like, I cannot take this. I can't do this. And like, my life is great. Like my life has been like, like I'm a rags to riches, like story. Like I come from nothing. Like I'm from Oklahoma. Like my mom's an alcoholic. I didn't know my dad, you know, my, my grandpa raised me. He died when I was 15 and I went into foster care, you know, like, and I took off, I took off immediately because I was like, screw this. Like, I'm not going to stay with like some random person. Um, and by this time I was already full on using methamphetamine and drinking and smoking weed. And, um, and like I said, I'm so, I'm so grateful for those things. I'm so grateful for those guys that picked me up from the foster home, you know, and, and cause from that point on, I mean, I, I just, I grew up, you know, I got a job and I started working and, you know, by this time I had actually, um, gotten pregnant and I had a little baby and, and, um, I wound up giving him up when I was 17 because I knew I was incapable of like taking care of him. And, um, and honestly, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, I just wanted to get fucked up, like losing my grandpa, who was like my papa. He was the love of my life. Like he was all I ever needed. 
And yet at the same time, you know, when I was growing up, like he was so protective of me, you know, and I wasn't allowed to go to anyone's house. I could have five girlfriends over and we could be running around playing hide and seek, busting windows. And he didn't care, but I was not allowed to go anywhere. I was not allowed to go to people's houses, not even like across the street. And I remember I would resent, I resented him so much for that stuff, you know, and I would get so mad and I would go in my room and I would be crying and screaming and like saying, I wish he would die, you know? And like, And then he fucking dies, you know, and like, not that I thought I did it or anything, but it's just like, you don't really, you just don't really think that's going to happen, you know? And so when he, when he passed away and then I'm in foster care and all of a sudden, like the reins are off. I mean, by this point, I'm already like, I was sneaking out and I was ditching school. That's how I got pregnant. And like, I was already like introduced to all of that stuff. And and when I had that baby, I mean, the guys that I was getting high with were were in this apartment right next door to our apartment. So he would let me go right next door to this apartment. And when he needed me, he would just knock on the wall and I would just come right up, right back over. Because it was just like I was in another room, you know, I was right there. Um, but he didn't know I was there smoking methamphetamine with these guys, you know, at 15 years old. They were like sons of like a meth cook. <laughs> and like those guys would be my road dogs up until I was probably like 18 or 19 years old, you know? And and they were my family and they were like all I knew. And and um and I just started doing whatever I wanted. No one told me to go to school. Nobody told me to do anything. I just partied and I absolutely loved it. The moment that I started putting anything in my body, like I all of a sudden, I didn't care that I wasn't a part of, I didn't care that I didn't have as much money as you, or that my, you know, I didn't have a mom or a dad, or I didn't care about any of that. All of a sudden, like, I was just, uh, I was just like this, I was stoked, like, I was so happy. And I just, I loved, I just thought, okay, wow, I just, I love partying. I just really love partying, you know, and I don't have a problem. I remember saying, I don't have a problem. Like, if I wanted to stop, I could, you know, that's what I would literally say. Um, and I never thought I had a problem once I started going to jail, you know, and I started going to jail pretty quickly. Like I caught my first case when I was 17. It was a possession of marijuana and possession of paraphernalia. And like, that would just be my first like introduction to, um, to the system, you know, and, and me trying to figure out how to, uh, how, how to like, how, how to looking for the loopholes and looking at like how I can get around, like, um, not going to jail and yet at the same time, like not being accountable, you know? And like, and, and when I was younger, I was a lot better at it, you know, but as I got older, uh, like I, I had, there was no way that like I could continue to act like I didn't, like I didn't have to um, have something in my body. Like I had to drink, I had to put something in my body and I would go to jail or catch a case every single year, numerous times until I got sober, you know, for different things. Like right before I got, um, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had just caught my first DUI with possession, you know, after, before that I had, you know, trying to obtain money by false pretense. I, you know, it was all drugs and alcohol related stuff. And again, I never thought I had a problem. It was just like, okay, well, I shouldn't have been in that place. If I hadn't been with those people, right? Like it was, I, it never was my fault. You know, I never, there was no way it was drugs and alcohol because again, that was like, I was what was helping me live my life. <laughs> like, because I was incapable. Like if I didn't have something in my body, I was so uncomfortable. I couldn't handle it. Like, and I could just be sitting at home. Like I had to have something in my body, you know? 
And for a long time, every time I would get caught up, you know, and I was on probation for this and probation for that, I would think, okay, I just need to get out of Oklahoma because like this place is horrible and I just need to get out of this place. And if I lived somewhere else, right? Like all of the things that we say. Um, and I did, I would go to different places. I went to Vegas and Washington and Kentucky and, um, uh, North South Philly. I mean, I went to all, or, um, South Jersey. I went to all these places and, and no matter where I went, there I was, you know, and I always found the people, you know, that, um, that I could use and that I could manipulate and, um, and that like to get fucked up just like I did, you know, and what, I mean, what wound up happening was all those cases I had back in Oklahoma, you know, I would continually get picked up for, you know, this case or that case. And they would hang on to me. There was no one bailing me out. They'd hang on to me. They'd, you know, send me to court. And then once they let me out, I would try to always do the straight and narrow where it was like, okay, I'm just going to drink and just smoke weed. That was me like being good if I wasn't doing methamphetamine. <laughs> like, um, and, and I, and as I got older, I, I just stopped even trying, but I would get out and I would get a job and I would like try to do the right thing, you know, and, and pay the fines and do the probation and community service. And I remember with one of them, I was supposed to get my GED and I would like go high, like, and I just, I just could, I just couldn't do it. And after a time, like same thing, it, it just never was enough. I would have to always put something more into my body, you know? And, um, and so I, so I found myself, you know, uh, it was, like Labor Day weekend of 2004. And, um, and all those cases I had in Oklahoma, um, had all racked, they had, they had all found out about each other. <laughs> you know, I had this DUI I had just caught, had just found out about this other case I had in another County about an hour away. And, um, and I remember I should have went to jail that day. I went to just transfer some of my probation to like one County to the, to another. And she was like, you have a warrant in that County. And she called me in right then and there. And I was just like, Oh shit, you know, <laughs> like was not expecting that. And I would have caught another case because I went in there with shit in my purse, you know, not thinking that it was going to turn into this big deal. And um, and I started doing the like the the God help me prayer. You know, if you go to jail a lot or you get arrested a lot, like you pray, you know, and and so there I was sitting right there in front of her, ball my eyes out, God, please help me. No, no, please, God help me, you know. And, and usually it never works. I would, I always got arrested. I always went to jail, but not that day, not that day, that day she would hang the phone up and, and look at me just stunned, you know? And she's like, they told me to call back in 10 minutes. And she was like, I'm going to let you go. But if you don't go see them, they're going to pick you up. And I'm like, no, no, like I'll, I'm totally going to go. Don't worry. Don't worry. I run out of that probation office. I go to the bar. And if I learned anything from my alcoholic mother, it was to run, you know, that woman, she ran from like eight DUIs for so long. And so I was like, you know what? I was on a Greyhound bus and I was in Santa Cruz by Friday. That was on like a Monday. And I literally, I packed my bags and I was like, I'm not going to prison. You know, I'm not going. And so, you know, I got, I got a bag of dope. I got weed. I got all my stuff. You know, I got my star Wars movies on VHS. I was so high. <laughs> I got a suitcase. <laughs> I got a suitcase. I'm going to California. And like, you know, I think it's like 80 degrees here. Right. I get here. It's September. It's freezing balls. I have like no tennis shoes. I brought all sandals. <laughs> I get here and I get off the Greyhound bus and I'm just like, what the hell? Like in Santa Cruz, like just, and, and I wasn't scared. I wasn't scared at all, you know? And I, I remember, 
someone told me to go to the hostel that there was a hostel down by the boardwalk and but it was like 50 bucks a night. And um, because I had originally, I tried to hitchhike to Santa Cruz and I only made it to like Texas. And so I then had to use the money that I had to buy the Greyhound ticket um, from Texas, which took all my money. And so I got here with like 50 bucks. So I go and I, I go to this hostel and, you know, the hostel, I think bought me like two or three nights, if even that. Um, but I was able to, it, it bought me some time to go down to the bar. And that was all I needed to do. I went down to the bar because I was a bar drinker and you know, I would go, I'm very sociable. I like people. And I just started finding people, right. Meeting people. And, and, um, you know, I had something they wanted, they had something I wanted. And like, that's just how it went. I had people all over town, you know, that would let me stay with them, you know, for a couple of days or a couple of nights, you know, and I would just call this one when I needed to switch around, you know, and, um, and it was, a, it was that same hotel that I would call my sponsor from when I got high, this guy who would just let me keep my stuff there, you know, and I would just kind of come and go and pack my bag, you know, and, and, and what started happening was like, um, after a month of being here, uh, how I got introduced to recovery originally was because after a month of being here, I thought I was pregnant. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, like I wasn't going to have an abortion because I had, I had done that like earlier, you know, in my, in my, like when I was 18 or 19, you know, so I was like, okay, I'm not having an abortion. I'm going to have this kid. Um, and, and I remember it was around, it was around Thanksgiving, you know, and I wound up miss, I, I miscarried like a couple days before Thanksgiving. And I went to go to a meeting and, um, and there was no meeting. And then I found money in my backpack and I went to the bar, you know, and I got a drink and, and then just off and running again. But that was how I got introduced to recovery. You know, like when I, when I think about like, how because I mean even all the times that I was I had gotten in trouble back in Oklahoma no one ever told me to go to meetings no one ever not that I don't even know if I would go if they had I probably just would have signed them off because I already knew how to do that from when I was had that 17 when I had that case when I was 17 and so I don't know it was like my higher power knew exactly how to get me into the rooms you know because once I came in I I did hear something you know I seen a different way to live you know I did and like I saw that people were happy and people you know were doing things that I wasn't capable of doing you know and uh even though I relapsed on Thanksgiving after that I that's when I would try to like you know come and go like okay I was like I, I would, I would try to get clean, but it would be for like, you know, to get off the street after that time. I was like, okay, I'll get clean. And I'll just, I'm just going to get off the street, get my shit together a little bit. And then I can go back to go back to doing my thing, you know? And, um, and, and I couldn't get, I couldn't ever get a month. You know, I had almost three months with that pregnancy. And then after that, I couldn't ever get a month. I would always get close to a month and I would relapse. And, um, and, and what happened on St. Patrick's day of 2005, you know, I was walking downtown Santa Cruz and like I said, I've been here for six months now. And within that six months, like this emotional bottom started happening that I hadn't ever experienced, you know, because like, um, <clears throat> like, yeah, I was homeless, but I wasn't really homeless. I had, I, I was staying all over the place, but I was by myself, you know, I was truly by myself. There was nobody like, I mean, I was always surrounded by people, but I was by myself, you know, like I, I wasn't truly connected to anyone. I didn't know anyone that I was around. It was just, you know, um, everything was just the game. You know, I was just like using everyone. They were using me. And, um, like I said, I wasn't able to just, I, I was, I was hitting this emotional bottom where I just couldn't handle it anymore. You know, like the sadness, I think from, you know, my grandpa dying from me, giving my kid up from the abortion, from the miscarriage, from just my fucking life. Like I just, I could not drink enough to turn it off anymore, you know? And, um, 
and on St. Patrick's Day of 2005, like I was walking downtown and I, and I was praying. I prayed all the time when I was loaded, you know, cause I was, I'm a manic depressive. Like when it says in the book, there's the manic depressive that a whole book could be written on. I am manically depressed. Like for sure. I think I've been depressed since I was a kid, you know? And that's why I like anything that makes me feel happy. makes me feel, cause if I don't feel happy, I'm fucking depressed, <laughs> like straight up. And it's because I can't stay out of the past. Like I'm so fucking hung up on everything that's happened. You know, I can't let things go. And, um, and so, so I prayed a lot and that night I, I prayed, you know, and I was like, God, like help me go home. You know, I was miserable. I couldn't get my shit together. I couldn't get clean. I couldn't get sober, you know? And, um, and I prayed, I prayed for God to, to help me go home. And, um, cause my plan was to get a job and get money and go home and turn myself in and do the right thing. But I, I wasn't working. I couldn't find a job. I wasn't even trying, you know, I was just trying to stay well. And, and uh, I met a guy that night and he was an AA and that was, that was, that guy saved my life. You know, um, he, a couple of days later, I start like hanging out with him and he gives me the number to a woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and that was, that was how I initially got turned on to AA. And I thought, you know what, like I haven't tried AA, you know, and I knew I was an alcoholic from the moment I started drinking, like I drink like a fish. I only want liquor, you know, and I, and, and when I start, I cannot stop. I have no idea like what's going to happen. You know, I do crazy fucking shit when I drink. Um, and, and I, st- and, and I'll still want to do it again. You know, I'm not like, okay, well, I really shouldn't do that again. Like I'll do it again. And so, so I called her, you know, and I met her and that was when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and because I, even after that, I got not even a month. And then, you know, me and that guy, I think we broke up and I went out and that's when, you know, I, I remember I called someone from NA that I knew had relapsed. And, um, and that's when I, you know, I found myself in that hotel room and the bag never came. And I called that sponsor and I went into rehab and I just, and I started, I started doing this thing, you know, I started doing, living this life that, um, that I'm not capable of doing if I, if I, if I don't, if I get away from this work, you know, when I do the steps, um, like I say, they, they, they cause this ego death to happen for me. And I have a huge ego, you know, I have to, like, it's just me, you know? And so I have to, and, but I, that was when I was loaded, right? Like, I don't need it now. I don't need this ego now. Like now I have this God that if I, if I turn to God, which you know, I, like I said, I pray all the time, but, but faith without works is dead. Like I, you know, and, and again, that's, that's part of like, that's something that I've learned like over, over my time here, I pray all the fucking time, even like through the pandemic. I mean, I'm sitting here in my, in my room, you know, all the things that I could need and I'm praying, I'm meditating, I'm doing yoga. Um, I'm writing gratitude lists every day. I'm eating healthy. I'm working out. I'm doing all these things, right? I've never had time to do because I worked all the time to take care of myself here in Santa Cruz. And, um, but I wasn't doing inventories. I hadn't done a four step and it'd probably been like about a year or so I needed to make amends, you know, like I'm the kind of alcoholic, I'm the real alcoholic that it talks about in the book. You know, if you're a real alcoholic, sobriety is not going to be enough. Like, you know, the cash and prizes, all that stuff, it fixes some people. And a lot of people that I've been sober with here, uh, it seems to fix them and they don't have to do as much as I do, you know? And, and I always thought like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just, I, 
I need a solution that's a spiritual nature. And that again is like these steps. Like when I do these steps, when I put pen to paper, you know, and I write out a four step, you know, which it starts with the resentment about somebody else, but the end of it is me looking at me, you know, because like, I'm the only person that, that can change. I'm the only person that, um, that is capable of like, of, 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 I'm the common denominator, right? And even with knowing the facts that I know about myself, the things I've learned about myself over these years, and even more so in the last year, you know, after working with my sponsor, Jojo, like he has helped me see parts of myself that sponsors that I had with 20 plus years never were never helped me see, you know, and maybe because they didn't have these defects. I don't know. But Jojo, you know, who has like maybe five years close to five years sober. Um, he does, he does, he does these inventories. He, he does this self-searching. And so he's able to see himself. And then when I come to him with these four steps or these 10 steps, he's able to recognize in me, these parts of me that I can't see because I can't see myself. I cannot see myself. Like we just did a 10 step, like right before this meeting, you know, and, and he helped me, like, we're just looking at my part, you know, and, and the 10th step is on someone being rude to me literally a week ago, because I'm doing outreach for, you know, sobriety by the bay. And I get very offended when someone is rude to me because I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> offer them um, registration, you know, and I, was, I remember I was in such a good mood that night, you know, and I'm just like, Hey, what's up? Are you guys interested? And he's like, no, no, I have to work. And he's just, he's, he was very, he was a dick. Okay. He was a dick to me. <laughs> like, and I took it so personally, right? Like not thinking about like what kind of day this guy has had or anything, you know, my bubbly ass comes up like talking and, and like, he's just like, go away basically, you know? And I just take it so to heart. I get so offended. And, and then I'm just like, oh. and then I can't talk to anybody now because I, like, I've just, and when I learned through this 10 step, I had to redo a 10 step on it. Cause I'm still thinking about it. And, um, and you know, Jojo's like, he was like, you enjoy like the rejection, you know, he's like, because you go into it, you already think that it's going to happen. And then when it does, that feeds into this part that like, now you get to like be this victim, you know, like I'm addicted to like my victimhood, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to like, to pain, like I'm addicted to drama, like still, you know, still. And it's not going away guys. Like it's not going away. The only, again, like I was saying, like me knowing all of these things about myself doesn't mean that I'm like, okay, well, great. So now I just, I'm not going to be addicted to pain anymore. And I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. I no, I can't, I'm not capable. <laughs> like I'm not capable. I am a selfish, self-centered alcoholic. And the only thing that makes me capable is when I humble myself to God, I have to literally ask God to help me do these things, to be this different person, you know? Like what came out of this 10 step was like, what should I do next? I literally have to pray now before I go talk to people about registration and ask God to, to be with me, to help me show up and not be this selfish, self-centered person and like trying to help people like get registered for, you know, sobriety by the bay. Because like, because I just make everything about me because I want to be the center of attention because, you know, I'm afraid of not being a part of, it's literally all the things that like, it goes all the way back to like why I drank, right? Like, because I didn't feel a part of, because um, fear of not being a part of, fear of not being liked, fear of being judged, um, and fear of like having conviction about something, because if, if so, maybe you won't like it and then you won't like me, you know, just like all that stuff. Like it's, 
this thing is so much deeper than not drinking, you know, like that's what I know today, you know, like my alcoholism, you know, the, the alcohol was, was, was just my solution. And today, like it's, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, like without this program, like I don't know how to live, you know, I don't know how to, you know, do it. Like, I still don't know. I haven't had a long-term relationship in like so long. And like, that's another thing. Like I just broke up with someone as well. And you know, like going forward, like, you know, Jojo's like, what, what it looks like for you right now is like, you just need to build friendships. He's like, you don't know how to be a friend. And I'm like, what? But like, I'm like, the, I'm such a good friend. You know, he's like, who's your closest friend? Who? And I'm like, you. <laughs> and it's like, um, I'm so scared of being vulnerable. I'm so scared of like having these relationships with people, you know, where I show like where I'm myself, you know? And, and so it's always these relationships where I give, 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 and I don't get anything back. And they're these one-sided relationships, you know? And so like going forward, like right now, he's just like, you know what? Learn how to be a friend, like learn how to be a friend, you know, like not be in a relationship, but learn how to be a friend and learn how to listen and pay attention. And, um, be a service, you know, like, that's the thing. Like I was telling you, I was like, I feel like I need to just like, I need to post it somewhere because like, I, I get so, I, things get so like, um, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like blacked out. Like I get so overcome with fear or, um, or like resentment, which it's all fear guys. Like if you're resentful, resentful, it's fear. If you're, if you're sad, it's fear. Like, if, I mean, all of it is fear. And like, I just need to post it somewhere that's like, how can I be of service right now? You know, slash laugh at myself because like, that's another thing where like, I just, I take myself so seriously, like so seriously when I used to speak, you know, over a year ago, if I it was the most serious chair ever, you know, and like now, you know, I'm able to laugh at all of these things. And it's because of my sponsor, like when I call him, you know, generally, he's usually laughing before I even say anything. I just call him. I'm just like, Hey, this is a good time. And he's just like, yes, Valerie. And he's just laughing at me before I even say anything. And I remember I used to get, so I've been working with him for about a year now. And I'm like, why are you laughing at me? When I first started working with him, like, this is this is really serious. It's like what I'm about to share with you, <laughs> you know? And now I know like when he starts laughing, like that's an, I start laughing, you know, because like I take myself way too damn seriously, you know? And we talked last night for like almost an hour, you know, about relationships and about like how, like, I don't, I don't know what God has, has planned for me, you know? And like, you know, one of, one of my favorite speakers, um, Sandy beach, he's, um, he's on YouTube and stuff. He has this tape and it's called letting go, you know? And like, he's like, he's like, if I could describe this program in just two words, like it would be letting go, you know? And like, that's the thing. Like when I first got here, I, I let go so easily. I did. I let go so easily. And, and it's only when I'm desperate in that same way, like that I'll let, that I let go like so easily. And it's unfortunate that I, I have to be desperate. <laughs> I have to be in, so much pain, so beaten down. And God's usually doing some things that he knows are going to make me move that are going to make, you know, he's, he's like giving, he's, it's always like this fork in the road where it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to stick this out? You know, stay asleep, you know, die, die, like, you know, a sober alcoholic death, you know, because you're not willing to let go, 
you know, and trust me. Cause like, that's my problem. Like I'm so scared to trust God. Like I trusted God when I turned myself in, I trusted God when I went home and I made amends to that kid that I gave up. You know, I, I trusted God with like these really big things, but I'm so scared to trust God that he's going to like bring somebody like it. Like he's going to bring my ideal person in, you know, cause I feel like, like that's just not possible or something, you know? I'm a crazy person. <laughs> like my God is so obsessed with me, you know? And that's something that the gender said, he's like, you can't see yourself. You know, he was like, your God has something so amazing, like planned for you, you know? And you just, you just have to like, just continue doing your work, finish your fourth step. You know, that's something that like, I, I'm, I'm sitting on, I'm not sitting on, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to knock it out. I'm so close. But he's just like, just continue the work, just continue doing what you're doing, you know, because like, it's, it, it, there's going to be a shift, right? That, that cheesy little saying, like this too shall pass, you know? And that's what I know. Like, um, I'm, I, I've, I've grown through a lot. Like I've grown through so much. If I, I haven't drank, you know, I've walked through so many things, you know, hard things. Like I've been the happiest and I've been the saddest and I've been on my knees bawling, wanting to die, you know? And, and those have honestly been the, some of the most profound moments for me because they brought me closer to God, you know, and they, and they brought me right back into the fold of this, you know, and right back into the steps and usually meaning like, okay, I reached the bar with who I'm working with and it's time to move on to someone new, you know, and, and something that, you know, like my home group talks, talks about a lot, which is like, are you working towards your ideal? You know, like I've been writing ideals list for 15 years and never been like, okay, this person doesn't match my ideal. Like I need to end this, you know, like, and not be afraid that I'm going to be alone. Like it's that trusting God, you know? And so, um, I just, I just continue to try to get, get out of my own way. You know, if I don't want to call my sponsor, I call my sponsor. If I don't want to talk, I talk, you know, if I don't want to do anything, I, I do it, you know, because like, that is where I have this experience. It's not of me. It's really weird. When I do the things that I'm comfortable doing, I usually wind up feeling like shit. Like, okay, if I stay home and I, like, we're just going to watch some TV and eat these cupcakes and, you know, <laughs> masturbate all night, whatever. I will feel horrible by like midnight. I want to die by like midnight. Okay. If I get up, I get my butt in the car. I go to a meeting. I sit in the front. I don't take my phone. I stand up. I talk. My heart's pounding the whole time. I go talk to a newcomer afterwards. I don't want to do any of that stuff. You know, and I'm like shaking doing all of it. Yet I feel free at the end of it. After the meeting, I'm like, my mind is quiet, you know, and I'm okay. You know, not to mention I got to help somebody, which is like my whole purpose here, you know, which is something that I've gotten away from, you know, like it says like our purpose is to help the alcoholic who's still suffering, not just the newcomer. Because when I met my sponsor a year ago, like I was in my last 30 days at 15 years, you know, and he helped me by just sharing his experience, you know? So if you're not sharing, share, because if, you know, if you're, you don't know who you could be helping if you, if you share. So I think that's all I have. It's my time. Thank you guys so much for having me.